This podcast is brought to you by Apex Pro and our buddies over at SCP, SCP Euro. Euro. Hi, Ab- hey, Adam. Hi, Emil. Hi, Aaron. Hello. Hey, guys. We're here with uh, the winning formula buddies, and we're going to have a lot of background noise, but these are mi- good mics for that. Um, you guys just did qualifying. I tried to do qualifying, and that might be the last time I drive on Coda. A lot of oil came out of that car, but it didn't blow up. So how was your qualifying? Stressful. Yeah. Emil's <laughs> yeah. was almost stressful because he almost got booted for track limits, too. Yeah. Yes. He got real sideways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the uh, the new Cayman build, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about it a little bit on a show that Abe and I recorded yesterday. How was oh, it? You? How uh, is it? It is good for a couple laps, yeah. and then it is um, challenging. Less good? Less good. What gets less good? The rear tires. Oh, really? They get pissed. The rears. Yeah. How, what's your weight split on uh, Cayman like this? 55-45. Okay. Yeah. Um, Most people run a staggered tire on them, and we're effectively re- running the car non-staggered. Why does the rear go away? Because the tire's smaller than what you typically run on the back. Oh, okay. We're just trying to make it turn. Right. I mean, not to say that this is a poor handling car, right. but when the competition is a Miata, yeah. uh, it's like it's relatively really poor handling Miata. car. <laughs> so it has a ton of tire on the front and not as many tons of right. tire on the rear, and they get toasty after get about that. three laps. Now, uh, you haven't raced this in GLTC yet. Do you no. expect that in race one, you're going to be fighting to keep pace by the end of the event, or the end of the race? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be backing up the train. What's, by the, what's, end of the, race. Uh, what's the strategy for your first race? With uh, get it pointed down track and let the big dog eat. It fires off a corner right. it, with the PDK. I mean, these guys with manual transmissions, they're shifting like what 15 times a lap. It's yeah. a lot. That's that stresses me out. I just like pull a little finger on a paddle. Yeah. And it allows you to drop to gears. Like, I think a lot of the guys are debating between second and third gear for some of these corners. They want to be in second, but the 2 3 upshift on the serrated uh, yeah. exit curbing is just violent. Right. With the PDK, you can upshift mid corner, and it just so smooth. Does it every time. And so that's the edge of this car. Hopefully, that consistency of shifting um, saves it by the yeah. end of the race. Um, you got a 229 out of it. Uh, Emil right now is in what P five? Yes, that's correct. Two thirty one. Top top five or six is really close. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What this, is this your first time driving this place? It is correct. Yeah. Yours too. I did some Same. eye racing, yeah. but yeah. that's it. So uh, I talked with you in the paddock yesterday or this morning um, about the changes that you'd made on the car. Can you go through those and like what you think are the biggest performance improvements this year? Sure. Yeah. So. Um, I was definitely at the limit of my braking capacity last year. Kamiata specifically build, by at, the way. Yeah, at Gingerman. Um, just that track, sneaky hard on brakes, and I would get uh, halfway through a, a dry race and, and start to run out of brake. Yeah. Um, so the the goal over the off season was to kill the mouse with the hammer. Uh, <laughs> so I went. I went. I took the nuclear op- nuclear option on brakes. Went went to the eleven point seven five inch rotor that's uh, inch and a quarter thick. C43 yeah. caliper up front with huge brake pads. You did and a thick rotor, though. Take, took basically, yeah. yeah. Is that a bolt-on kit for me, Uh Not yet, but it okay. will be eventually. Okay. Bolt-on if you know Jeff Preston. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's sort of like a, I'm trialing it, which yeah. is a great place to trial a brake system for the first time, but yeah. I have all of faith in Jeff. So, Is your uh, caliper piston sizes different? or uh, They are, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it, all that stuff was done with you know, the ultimate bias in mind. Right. So, um, and then essentially I took what were the old front brakes and put them on the back. Oh, wow. Um, so I've got more brake all the way around. And then the, the biggest change far and away is the, the MK60 ABS system that, that we finally got around to installing How over is the it? winter. It is unreal good. <laughs> yeah. 
I went from being uh, last year, you know, maybe a full break marker behind everyone as far right. as my ability to to late break, you know, when needed in like a defensive or racing situation. To uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't anyone here that that uh, that could outbreak me. Not to say that like I can outbreak everyone, but I could at least Your car can, draw a level with right uh, just about anyone here. Yeah. Um, and just having the confidence right. to be able to hit the brakes really hard and not know that you're not going to square off a $1,200 set of Hoosiers is yeah. uh, pretty important it's too. Nice. The braking zones of this track are super bumpy. Are. So you can brake at like a completely appropriate place right. and hit the wrong bump. And all of a sudden you're in ABS. Or if you don't have an ABS car, you're... Yeah, you're squaring up your tires, you yeah. know, trapezoids. I, I locked them up pretty good um, after the big straightaway. Uh, it just like it's just sneaks up on you it real does. hard, real yeah. hard. I was jealous of your ABS when I did that. So. <laughs> Luckily, I'm on junk tires. <laughs> but yeah, um, when if the ABS failed on your car as it's set up right now, uh, what would it break like? Like so, it's not, is it still drivable without it if something did fail? It is. Yes. That's the thing that's happened on like a lot of cars. Uh, oh, ABS problems. The front, the front of the, the car locks up now. Ah, the back locks up. Now. Anything Ford based yeah. is yeah. going to be the scariest thing in the world to drive with an ABS failure. Yeah, Fords, Fords do as well. Yeah, it, it turns into a slingshot. Right it's in insane. The wall. BMW yeah. thought about this stuff though, so yeah. I hydraulically biased the system in case that if the system ever did fail That's and reverted to like a fail-safe mode yeah. that uh, that I would still have good brake bias. Okay. And then on top of that, um, I actually have a red light on my dash. And right. so if the system has an error, it lights up the red light. That's awesome. Which and, everybody uh, with ABS should have that because if you're relying on ABS and you don't have some indicator when you have a system fault, yeah, you're going to be in for a surprise and yeah. the guy next to you may be sharing the surprise with yeah, you. Yeah, it's a thing that you wouldn't find it all unless... You experience the problem then. Yes. You know, if you don't have an ABS light on your dashboard. Exactly. Interesting. That's good. That's a good idea. Yep. Um, Drivetrain wise, your car is the K24Z, what's it called? Z1? Z3. Z3. Yep. Uh, the big single outlet. Uh, did you change anything else? or? Uh, I went to a slightly shorter final drive. Okay. Um, a lot of these low, low speed third gear digs, right. um, I felt like my car was just a little deficient coming off of the corner because I was falling out of the power band. Okay. Um, my power band is peaked really from like 6,000 to 8,000. Mm -hmm. So if I'm outside of that window, I'm below my class limit horsepower. Right. Um, so just shortening that final drive ho hopefully helps me squirt off of some of these slower corners a little bit. Okay. I'm still finding that at this track specifically, some of these really slow corners, I'm having to use second gear yeah. um, to, to, I, yeah, I to claw What's out of them. corner numbers for that? Uh, so like leading onto the back straight. 11. Yep. Yeah. And then um, the sort of like uh, decreasing radius left-hander, the really sharp one. Yeah. Is that 17? 16 uh, maybe? 16. Yeah. I know which one you're talking about. I don't remember what it's yeah. called. We're showing our amateurism at this yeah. track this with corner all. numbers. I didn't know this was going to be a test. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was really shocked how I'm using like all of second gear, and I'm running out of gear on fifth. Like this place is a huge. It's like so, dis like there's. It's not like anything else that I've driven. Yeah. You get so slow and you get so fast. Um, yeah. Which is something I didn't expect. Even watching in-car video, I didn't have a grasp of how much that would be. It's depressing to watch yeah. your in-car video, and uh, you just hope that everyone else is yeah. that slow through that corner, <laughs> right? Right. When you start like, seeing threes really as your as your min speed, you're yeah. like. Damn, I'm in yeah. a parking lot. <laughs> yeah, is this an autocross uh, followed yeah. up by a half mile uh, airport run? Yeah, exactly. It's so strange. It's a it. I had a good time finally in qualifying, and then it, it got ended. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was starting to remember where I was. Uh, 
It's a, I'm glad I drove it at least once. It's a cool place. So it's a very cool place. It's um, more bumpy than I expected. And I'd heard all the stories about it's the, not Nola. the ground settling and you know yeah. the pavement taking on new ripples. Yeah. Um, but even then, it still was bumpier than I expected. Yeah, my car is pretty soft. I don't notice bumps as much as everybody else, but I noticed them. They're 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 definitely there. It's similar to like Autobahn in bumpiness. I think it's not like a Nola, uh, but it's not glass smooth either. Yeah. Um, so going into uh, race one soon, we're gonna do uh, going into race one soon. What's you? What's your strategy if you're P five? Uh, the main thing for me is uh, hoping that the top three or four slow each other down by racing, okay. and me just being able to hang on to their draft. Right. Because um, right now, as it sits, I'm like averaging about three to five miles an hour down okay. on the back straight. So you want to tuck uh, down on the straight when I'm by myself. Yeah. Um, but there was a one lap yesterday where I drafted Luke, and I picked up a half a second just on that one straightaway alone. Oh wow! So talk so. about that for a second. I mean, you're you're pretty close to the class limit overall. Uh, what what about your setup makes um, makes for that deficiency of three to four miles an hour? I think it's probably down to torque. Uh, Luke's, Luke has a 2.5 liter four cylinder. I've got a 2.4 liter, but his engine just makes a gob of torque coming right. off of the corners. Do you think any of it's aerodynamics? Man, I would actually be surprised because I probably have the smallest frontal area car right. here. Um, really, the acceleration rates between you and Luke's car are substantially similar, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's not your four or five mile an hour deficit. It's that big boys that are your four or five mile an hour deficit. The the three thousand plus pound cars right. yeah. that are putting four or five miles an hour. Yeah. Luke's car is probably the quickest car in its weight class in a straight line, um, and part of it is Luke getting it pointed off the corner and getting into the to the he loud pedal. That. But that yeah. engine, those engines are deceptively torquey. They they seem to almost trump the mm -hmm. k24 in terms of just that like mid-range grunt as right. long as they run as long as they're running <laughs> until yeah when they but run the, dot, dot, dot. it's like the nazis through it's like austin's car in the when 370 and my cayman yeah. like this cayman's a freaking nature yeah coming yeah. off a corner and anytime you get a heavier car with more torque and you have 130 mile you know we're doing like a 40 mile an hour to 130 mile an hour pull so down the back straight pull. that's a lot of time yeah. to you know when you talk about four mile an hour think of it as a percentage yeah over that range and you're like oh okay that checks out yeah so this track especially more than any is going to test the the dynamic sort of weight range of GLTC and what the parity looks like. Right. I think what Austin and I, I kind of group us into a category with the two 3,000-plus cars. I know there's others here, but yeah. his lap times have been impressive. Our straight line speeds are very similar. Our cornering speeds are very similar, and we're about 2% stronger on a straight and 2% slower in a corner Attention than the lighter weight guys. So be some interesting racing. And this is the track for these cars. The yeah. yeah, those cars. Yeah. Yeah. Are our participants and crew. Well, thank you. Drivers and crew, you are more than We are both of those things. Sort of. Sort of. It's a long, uh, this is a really long announcement. Keep track of your children, people. This is a public service announcement. A like well-comprehended announcement is to make it like 10 words. Not that. When you're at a racetrack, keep track of your children. What do you guys think of the V8 build? We have a purpose-built V8 now for this class, Swenson's car. Yeah. Um, I think the way that the Cayman and the 370Z distinguish themselves from a 2.4, 2.5 liter Mazdas right. and Hondas, I think the V8's going to distinguish itself from yeah. our, you know, 
Caymans yeah. and 370Zs. And that's like his fifth lap he ever did. Yeah, and the so. Corvette's probably a better chassis from a baseline handling standpoint than the 370 or the Cayman. Yeah. And so that car... Potential-wise. He didn't do the test date yesterday, no. which I think was just he bonkers. Didn't. But um, so we're going to see his speed probably continue to increase yeah, over the weekend, so. where the and rest like, of us are probably a I little closer he, to plateauing. I'm sure he'll run into a few teething issues and stuff as well because yeah, yeah he melted a plug wire earlier yep. and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I I took a look uh, when he came back in. Yeah, they're close to the headers, and he was just like, you know, it's a cheap eBay header. Um, you know, maybe redesigning those is probably a good idea in the mm-hmm. future. Right. But um, yeah, we run insulators on our coil wires on our V8 cars. For, for yeah. Those. yeah, so yeah. The uh, what do you think of uh, as far as like this track is so far from us? Um, what do you think of this place as a destination? Is this a place you'd return to over and over and over or no? Absolutely. Is that a trick question? Yeah, no, I'm serious. Are you asking about next year and your no, travel well, plans? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah. sort if of. we if firstly, I mean, if if we if we don't mind plugging people, um, Anish with. I don't even know. Is it GT Speed? GT Auto. Oh, GT Auto. Yeah, GT Auto Mall. Yeah, GT Auto Mall. Uh, He arranged the transport for our cars down here. And honestly, without doing that, it would have been so incredibly stressful Mm -hmm. to try to tow multiple cars down here. We had opportunity, ample opportunity to de-stress on the way down. Yeah. Yeah. So getting getting the cars down here and being able to fly in allowed us to meet our business obligations at home. And that's something yeah. important to remember with everybody racing here. They all have day jobs. Um, we do as well. Our day jobs are related to this, but yeah. we still have obligations to customers at home. So yeah, if we might, had to be on the road for three days, it would have been awful. This might be a little bit of an advertising you know, for you, but you still have to like do work and bill for those hours, and you can't do that if like the whole shop is here. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, so being unless in the shop. Unless you're here for- working. Yeah. Yeah, unless we're here working. If you're trying to win races. Yeah, Yeah, and we don't we don't do like a formal trackside service like some businesses do. We kinda use motorsports to advertise our business. Now last year I think we probably there were probably some GLC banks where we had maybe ten, twelve customers on a weekend. And we'll we'll bend over backwards for those customers. Um, you know, we'll dig in and we'll neglect our own cars to take care of theirs, but we don't have a formal trackside arrangement. So when we're at the racetrack, we're not technically doing business, it's more marketing and advertising our product. So you talked a little bit about the transport um mm-hmm. i don't know how much you paid uh but I'm, I'm curious if someone was interested in shipping a car from let's indianapolis or mm-hmm. or whatever to do an event like this how much does how much does that cost it's going to vary depending on how many cars you have on the transporter sure so i think the more the more cars you have the cheaper it's going to be but i would say somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars for there and, for there and back does, but it, does it would have been just stay here all weekend uh, it was supposed to this weekend, but the driver ended up getting some other good work while he was down here. Oh, cool. Um, but the driver of our transport was awesome to work with. I mean, And he's done race car stuff before. He's done race car stuff for the last you know 10 years of his life, from what I understand. So, yeah, his his ability to like take care of the car, strapping him down and stuff, I mean, he, it was, yeah. he could do it blindfolded. He's, he was the guy who drove the truck for the Warthouse Formula Drift team. Yeah, like, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah, the champion the, the last two years. When we were when we were kind of looking at coming down here, I did a fuel mileage calculation on my truck, and I estimated that it would cost me over seven hundred dollars in fuel right. to come down here and back. So to put some perspective on a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to transport your car, it's, it's really a net of you know three to seven hundred. Well, not just yeah. that, but plus a you few have trailer hubs if you're Adam. Yeah, right. trailer hubs that are like just gone. wear and tear on your own. <laughs> the liability, <laughs> and then I mean, if if you were to do a commercial flight down here, I mean, it's two hundred and something bucks. Yeah, mine was so. hundred. 111. And there was a reason that it was 111. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? (laughs) Wasn't a good flight? Because I I flew into the scumbag terminal, basically, Mm. uh, which is on the other side of the airport, not not anywhere near where, like, normal people fly in. They had to land it on the grass one. 
Yeah. And uh, it took me like 90 minutes to get to the main terminal, yeah. which Holy was cow. with like a proper 20-minute bus ride to get to. I didn't realize that airport was that big. It's not. We, we just got off the <laughs> plane and like walked into the bar at the so, fancy terminal. Uh, nice. <laughs> I waited a really long time on the bus, and the bus ride was 20 minutes itself. Uh, we left the airport. Right. We drove through the woods. We drove past a prison, and then we got onto the interstate to get back to the airport. Jeez. Did you stop to by Coda and do a few yeah. laps, too? I mean, that doesn't make any sense, but don't take Allegiant. No, no, I don't recommend it. No. But it was cheap. Well, we appreciate our Patreon uh, subscribers sending Abe down in for that terrible experience. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, what are your initial takeaways after a day and a half at Coda? Like, what do you guys think of the place? Is I it, love the track. Yeah. I thought it was way more It feels like a proper, you know, FIA, which it is. Track. I think the garage experience is half of the experience, too. Like, this yep. is pretty rad. It's like a good community right here we have. So, I think if the track weren't as bumpy, it'd be an absolute dream. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little like the... It's one thing to learn a track. It's another thing to kind of analyze. It's another thing to be like trying to mentally record where the bumps are right. and playing with different lines in the braking zone. So I worry a little bit about racing. Like I definitely think my confidence going side by side in a corner with somebody, you know, wondering like, am I going to hit that bump? Yeah, there's that, that one real big dip. That, you know, um, creates a braking yeah. deficit in the car and driving to this guy's door. So definitely right. have to be more conservative in the race. I hope everybody else understands that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really impressed with how the facility is to work with mm-hmm. also, like, super accommodating like really nice people um, yeah and uh it is absolutely stunningly gorgeous like, it is so crazy yeah. well there, I'm, are, there we, are minimal staff so the floor's not even polished yeah. <laughs> last year the floor was like l- totally polished i was pretty intimidated by the appearance of the floor when i came in i actually felt bad when i got some like brake dust when and we tower left last on it. year like when a, when any garage cleared out yeah. some people on like a zamboni yeah came and polished it and then swept everything, wiped everything down, and they were just moving around to empty garages. It was so wild. It shows. That's for sure. Well, I, we do go to some pro tracks, but this place, I think, is yeah. is really interesting because, um, like, race control and all of the video controls, like, there's there's just a dozen pros in there doing their job. Yeah. It's yeah. really, really neat. It uh, And it, it kind of makes, like, the, you call Mid-Ohio a pro track. I love Mid-Ohio. Like, it's my favorite mm-hmm. place to, like, drive and race, I think. Uh, but it's like a... It's like a dumpster in a trailer park compared to this place. <laughs> like, this place is so nice. Yeah, but it's it's the difference between a modern track and a historic track. Right. I mean, right. mid, the history of Mid Ohio. I have uh, pictures of a acquaintance of mine standing there as a kid in like little bell bottom pants when there's like no catch fences or anything right. like that, and he's just standing next to the keyhole like fifty feet off the track, and it's like that's <laughs> the history. Of the, you know, look at Watkins Glen, Road America, Mid Ohio, yeah. and. Yeah, it's a completely different type yeah, of road track. Road America's old, but it also has like all the amenities that this place kind of has in True. race control. Yeah, it's been updated like over the years. Um, Middle House changed owners too many times. It definitely has. A lot of people have made a lot of money on events and not put them back into paint. Yeah. So, well, but, um, a lot of seal coat. Lot, yeah, on the track, <laughs> unfortunately. The, this track is, is different to a place like Road America in, in a lot of ways, though, but like... Uh, outside of this track. I mean, we're kind of far from Austin, but like there's, there's nothing scenic around the racetrack at right. all. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're at road America, it's like, it's a nice place to be. Yeah. It yeah. Is. The yeah. town of road America for me is yeah. my favorite, you know, town to it's go so to. Cool. Yeah. That, like walking around at night. It's really, really good. Vibes. It is cool. If my you favorite like part tacos, about, though, dude. Yes. Coda. I was just going to say my favorite part about the day today <laughs> was we went to a super Mercado. Yeah. Like this giant, like giant, it was like literally a gas station, but it had a giant grocery store and like 
10 people making tacos at yeah. 5.45 in the morning. Yeah. And the place was shredding, like, the loudest, awesomest music, like, awesome vibes. Yeah. I kind of dig Wait, some you of got, that. Wait, you yeah. got tacos this morning, too? Uh, tacos every meal. I have two. <laughs> it's a breakfast taco, but it's still a taco. Yeah. That's on uh, point. Yeah, I do kind of dig the uh, uh, being down near the Mexican border, because those people... Got good vibes, man. Good tacos. <laughs> it's really so, fun. So uh, we talked on the show last night about where we're staying, which is the most bizarre, dilapidated McMansion that I've you seen can pictures. possibly imagine. And where are you guys staying? Uh, we're at the Omni downtown. <laughs> it's it's a nice hotel. That's the winning formula. Pretty ordinary looking spot. <laughs> the atrium inside is like the largest room I think I've been in in 10 yeah. years. If I had to it's guess, a- the ceilings in the atrium have to be 25 feet. No, I'm talking yeah. about at their hotel. Oh, <laughs> I would, but yeah, ours too. Single residence, largest room I've ever been in. We looked at Airbnbs, and I I messaged one of the guys that we were trying to plan the trip out together, and I was like, "Dude, we're gonna spend like two times as much money on an Airbnb yeah. as we would to book a nice hotel downtown." So I just told him to book a nice hotel yeah. downtown, and I think it ended up being like, I mean, it's literally like twelve hundred dollars cheaper than if we'd rented an Airbnb that yeah. could sleep all of us. We're spending a lot of money, but we're sleeping like fourteen people at that place today. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, and it's it's so hood though, dude. It's it's the worst built house I've ever seen. <laughs> it's crazy. There's no exaggeration here. It yeah. is. It's crazy. bizarre. And the pool's kind of nice, though. Yeah. Is yeah. it an indoor pool or an outdoor, no, it's an outdoor pool? Outdoor pool. It's a grotto. Kind of looks like it's at the Playboy Mansion. It's kind of cold yeah. out right yeah, now. Yeah, I jumped in. Have you been in day. the pool? I did. I, I heard did. the water was cold. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> I've, Actually, I've, I've seen I've felt proof. the cold. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ain't seen nothing. Oh, I have. <laughs> So many photographers at a grid life event. There's yeah. no way you're jumping in the pool and not being documented. Yeah. Uh, the. Uh, I mean, your face was blurred out, so it could have been anybody. True. <laughs> yeah, I was. It was just me and Sullivan. Nobody else was there. Uh, the. Uh, yeah. The. I think overall the event's been like it's a really it is a cool experience. So. Hey, Justin Gore is here. What's up, buddy? Um, I'm doing three races back to back to back tomorrow. It's uh, that sucks. It's like torturous. Yeah, well, you have to deal with it. Yeah, the brakes. <laughs> hope nothing breaks. That yeah, the brakes. You're driving. You're driving a Porsche. Yeah. What, what breaks? Um, everything breaks on German cars. Yeah, everything breaks on every race car. Li- literally. We did it last year. I don't want to try to remember. Yeah. To try to figure out what's going to break ahead of time and bring spares. Yeah. Oil I, I tried to make it not that, but we're kind of stuck with what they tell us. So I brought like, ignition coils and brake pads and rotors nice. and rotors. Keep it simple. That's where I'm at. Um, like on Hondas and stuff, the guys are used to swapping out hubs and doing that kind of stuff. Like mechanically on this car, are those wear items things that you're like, those are going to be fine typically? They are, but not to the degree that they are in a Honda or a Mazda. I mean, it keep, keep a little bit of perspective there. You know, the Honda Civic is a, you know, economy commuter car that makes 90 horsepower stock and probably had like what, 185, 65, you know, 75 usually 175 yeah. tires on it. And this car was, you know, a sports car from birth with a 235, 265 yeah. Michelin sticky tire. Um, and so things are beefed up accordingly. But hubs and bearings, they are, they're wear items on any race car, uh, including this one, but not to the degree that the sure, Mazda or the Civic like are. Or Civic, yeah. or I guess you could say we can actually run factory equipment where on those cars you're upgrading the components to right. deal with a, you know, or nine inch the wide Hoosier. From a bigger car on exactly. Like that, yeah. That's one of the things about the Porsche and like the building the car, not to say there aren't complexities involved in building it, but 
having pieces like that up to snuff from the get-go yeah. make life a lot easier. And it's an underestimated cost in preparing, say, a Miata or a Civic. Yeah, that absolutely. Almost everything on the yeah. car has to be replaced, and we replace substantially fewer components on the Porsche. Um, so, like, your engine is detuned, taken down to, like, what, 225? Yeah, it's a stock engine. Yeah. So unlike, you know, Mr. Coutil, who swapped an engine into his car, yeah. um, our Miatas that have a swapped engine. And harness we've and wiring. Basically and spent $0 on the motor of the so Porsche. It's got a factory drive-by wire. You just retune it, and you can make a GLT. Correct. And the tuning module for it is $1,200, and that's that's less costly than the ECUs right. and all the wiring and electronics we have to add to a Miata or a Civic. Suspension-wise, though, like all the parts that move and twist, lower control arm, stuff like that, it's truck car. Um, yep. That stuff are you using OEM or is there upgraded motorsport it's stuff? It's OEM, but we borrow it from the GT3 chassis. Okay. So okay. the the spindles, the uprights, if you will, um, those are factory Cayman okay. um, tie rods, uh, tension arms are all factory. We right. change out the lower control arm to a split design. Okay. Sometimes is it adjustable or. It is, yeah. The split design will increase camber and caster, and then there's a bushing in the middle of that arm that we can index to okay. pull our caster back where we want it. So the Cayman one's just like a stamp style? Uh, no, they're they're or, cast aluminum. Okay, um, but it's like fixed position? It's fixed position. It's not split two-piece. Okay. So the GT3s have like a shim in the middle, and you right. can add shims or take mm-hmm. shims. So you can add camber. caster, yep. add camber. Yeah, so from a suspension standpoint, to, over, to simplify it to a degree, it's... Uh, you know, a coilover shock from Olin's, um, a camber plate on that uh, to help us with our camber needs, a split GT3 lower control arm. Let's see how long it lasts. Nope. <laughs> hey, that's a tidy announcement. And then sway bars and end links. That's and all that it is. Huh? really is what it is. And uh, brakes... Factory the brakes are factory. Stock yeah. brakes, So it comes yep. with a Brembo four-piston caliper wild. all the way around. And I will add the rotors on the car are factory as well. And on Scott Bowling's Cayman, which ran GLTC all last year, yeah. we ran one set of factory rotors all it's season impressive. long. So and the factory rotors are affordable, too. Yeah, are they, they are. That's yes. cool. So like a GT car rotor would be is a two-piece design and would be like right. a $500 rotor. Right. And a Cayman rotor is like a little over 100 bucks. Okay. Nice. Doesn't sound like the worst car to live with. No, until yeah. you like... Pull up an engine or, or a, a wall. <laughs> yeah. All right. The gearboxes are actually pretty cheap um, okay. because they're so reliable. Um, yeah. Volkswagen it's like, and Porsche stuff is pretty solid nowadays. Yeah. So. Junkyards have a lot of them sitting there and not a lot of customers buying them. Right. If you bought one new from Porsche, the, the price is obscene. But yeah. uh, there's enough of these cars. This car's uh, 11 years old now, so there's enough yeah. of them in, in salvage and recycling yards that and you can. People, um, you know, young kids yeah. crash their dad's Cayman a lot. You know, yeah. Stuff like well, that. Well, Scott unfortunately had a crash last year with his Cayman, so we got a little bit yeah. of an insight into what repairing one was like. And we were able to get a uh, used suspension uprights for like 350 bucks. Nice. Um, we were able to get a steering rack for like 400 bucks. Um, so, again, more than you're going to pay for a Civic or a Mazda, but, but maybe crazy. not as offensive as people would anticipate. Yeah, yeah. sure. Now, if you I tried mean, to do that with like a 2018 Porsche, you'd be going to the dealer and you'd be paying five times that number. Yeah. Well, I think we saw that, I mean, not the same, but we saw it a little bit with Jackie's car in the last couple of years, right. where, like, uh, he had um, bent some some um, suspension pieces, yeah. and the there, there's yeah. nobody that there's no makes inventory. One, so you yeah. just, like, <laughs> wait. Yeah. And I think for him, at the time, it was, like, four months. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's always a, a thing to consider if you're trying to race or compete with a brand-new chassis. Yep. It's just the availability of parts may not be there. And then yeah. on the opposite end of it, you got somebody like me who's in the oldest chassis, mm. and, like, the availability of, the, the availability of like, the good spindle. Like, you got to import it from Japan or Europe, and there's four left. You know, like, yeah. the good one for the good wheel bearing for the big hub. Yeah. Like, you can't get that because it's so old. 
Like the sweet spot's probably the ten or fifteen year old car. So you know? yeah. I've said this on the show a bunch of times. I'm interested in your guys' opinion. Um, I think that the sweet spot for track cars and, and competition cars mostly is things between like ninety five and two thousand six. Uh, because those cars are like almost completely mechanically serviceable. Everything on them can be rebuilt, and they're not so dependent on electronics that they like the cars fall apart if can, the electronics. Yeah. Basically, can talking OB, the 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 OBD two generation right. of vehicles before we got into like everything being run over can. Well, uh, like there's no doubt that modern cars are faster. Uh, but I don't know if their service life is going to be as long. Yeah. I mean, DIY service. I think the more you get into control with can and everything, mm-hmm. like it just gets over people's heads too. Mm-hmm. And the potential for error, it's definitely there. Yeah. Well, and I think probably the skill set that you need to like troubleshoot is different too. For sure. The the person who's going to work on it is probably not the same person that did on an 06 S2000. Let's keep in mind too that in 2008, like a pretty major thing happened in the automotive industry mm-hmm. called a recession. That's and true. so whether whether automotive manufacturers declared bankruptcy or not, they were all pretty much on the verge of that. And so those boardroom conversations and decision-making processes changed a lot. So, you know, a Toyota alternator from 1999 will go like 250,000 miles, and you're just not going to see that on a vehicle anymore because they've got to cut those costs. And then the consumer preferences, coupled with fuel economy standards and demands, you're you're not going to get the pure sports cars that you got out of those generations because they're just not economically viable in this economy. It's probably the last generation of like gas cars that are going to be brought to the track. You know, it's things are weird. So, yep. But yeah, the ten-year-old, eleven-year-old came and doesn't sound like the worst thing to live with. <laughs> it's not bad. What what's you, What's the market like for finding one of these? It's surprisingly hard because really? these were produced from 2009 to 2012. So decisions about manufacturing this vehicle would have been made in, what, 2007, 2008, if you're doing a 2009 production. So we kind of get a pretty strong quality car, but it's being produced in a, you know, recessed economy. And who's going out and buying $60,000 Caymans in 2011? And so they're going to ramp their production down. And so you have a three-year production of this particular variant during, uh, I mean, the heart of the recession. And so they're they're surprisingly hard to find, especially with PDKs. Interesting. It's uh, not at all the same thing, but one of my friends uh, in the Houston area had a, I think it was an 08 Boxster S. Um, it was just like a lovely car to have. I mean, he's yeah, he's yeah. a track racer as well, but he's like, I got this car and it was kind of ratty when I bought it and I fixed everything. And now it was just like his going out car. And uh, I was amazed at how like wonderful it was. It doesn't sound like a bad place to be. No, not at all. Well, I think we did a show. Where can people find out about your guys' uh, business? Uh, we're on Instagram, Winning Formula. We're on Facebook, Winning Formula. And the shop's website's winningformulagarage.com. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see how you do. Awesome. Yeah. Good luck Thanks out there. Guys. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at Gridlife to say hello. Hello.